0: This series, with our founding text being in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. It's where I want us to look at today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul, the apostle, he writes to Timothy and he says, But you have carefully followed, notice that, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I just want to teach today a message titled, Carefully Followed. Carefully Father, let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I yield to the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest Jesus the King to hearts and minds and in this moment to individuals and situations. You alone are worthy, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. Your kingdom is at hand. Make much of Him, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, uh, many years ago, uh, in between my time of taking off from school and many of you are aware of the process it took me and how long it took me and the steps that it took me to finish my undergrad, but I worked in South Georgia at uh, a cabinet shop, an antique wood cabinet shop for a man who owned it and uh, he had a jigsaw and we were doing this project of making antique windows for a house, an old house there in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, he said, have you ever worked the jigsaw? I said, no, sir. He said, well, you're going to learn. And he handed me this piece of block. It was a pattern of one of the edges for the windows that we were making custom. And so he showed me, he demonstrated, he left me with the pattern. And that was to be traced on all the pieces of wood that I were to cut out to follow the pattern. Well, many hours later he he came back to check on it and uh, he began to look at the pieces and I noticed as he was looking at the pieces that he was starting to look a little puzzled and and he was starting to look a little more alarmed and I thought I had done a good job but come to find out I didn't follow the pattern as carefully as needed to be and uh, he was a godly man. He was the first man that in a moment of such failure, I ever saw the fruit of the Spirit uh, to not, in a heavy-handed way, not in an angry way, gently correct me. And here's what he asked me. He said, Son, have you ever used Bondo? I I said, No. He said, Well, you're about to find out and use it. And I had to learn how to Bondo the areas of that corner of the window that I accidentally cut off instead of accurately following the pattern. I say all that to say that when we think about the Apostle Paul, maybe you likewise are like me that said, you know what, I want to carefully follow the life of Paul. When I read how Jesus ignited a man, a man like you and I, a human like you and I, but ignited him to spread the fire of God in new places, and to see churches and groups of disciples born and birthed and planted, I had a desire and said, Lord, I would love to follow Paul faithfully as he followed you, Jesus, my King. But there came a day where just like that moment at that wood shop, where I began to think about that I thought maybe I was following Paul accurately or carefully, But it hit me one day, there is some challenges to following Paul. For instance, Paul writes the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7. In verse 32, he says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried carries for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world. It's in that moment, I'd read it many times, but in that moment, that one day it hit me, that's a challenge for me in following Paul in all the ways of Paul because Paul wasn't married when he wrote this. In fact, most scholars believe that Paul is a good Jewish boy who was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that he was married to a Jewish lady. But when he encountered Jesus Christ the King on that day and began to follow Jesus the way and what the Jewish people of that day called a sect, a sect of the religion that Paul's wife left him. And so Paul here writes this to the Corinthians. He says, look, I say this for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Well, when it comes to following Paul, I can't follow Paul in that way. I've tried it before. In fact, I've had my wife come to me and and ask me to do something. And I said, now, honey, I'm trying to follow the way of Paul. And I cannot be distracted by your to-do list. Well, if you've ever tried that, husbands and men, it didn't work well in experiencing the peace of God in my home. Paul, another place there, two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 9 says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 5. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Here Paul again says that at this time he didn't have a wife, and yet there was Peter and other apostles who had a wife, and yet Paul refrained from that opportunity and that option of being married, Paul says he refrained from not just living on ministering the gospel, like Paul, like Peter, and the others, but he also worked in addition in his ministry. And so I begin to think, you know, when I look at Paul's life and I admire how Jesus. The king was exalted and glorified his life. What actually of his life is applicable for me? Today and in this month, when we look at Paul and his life and the road ahead, I believe we all want to understand what is applicable for us. What is applicable from the life of Paul for you? For instance, Paul said that he was apostle. And maybe today when you hear about we're looking at Paul this month, you say, well, there's not going to be much that's applicable to me because I'm not an apostle. However, let me up front help us. You might not be an apostle, but you're called to be apostolic. The word apostle means sent. And all followers of Jesus are called to live as one sent on the Great Commission. Paul said that he was a minister. Maybe today you say, you know what, Pastor Chad, I'm not a minister. However, though you might not be a minister according to Ephesians 4.11, the equipping ministers, we are all called to minister Jesus to others. Paul said, I'm a preacher. And you might say today, well, I don't have much to learn from the apostle Paul for I don't consider myself a preacher. Well, you might not be a preacher in the way that Paul was a preacher, but we're all called to proclaim that Jesus is king and his kingdom is at hand. If you're familiar with the life of Paul, Paul's life ends his race ends with him losing his life for the glory of Jesus and the cause of the kingdom of God. And you might say, I'm not necessarily called, at least I don't feel like it, and and I hopefully won't be called to have, to give my life as a martyr like Paul. However, we're all called as followers of Jesus to take up our cross daily. So I believe today, friends, that you're searching and you're asking about things like this. Where is there consistency in an inconsistent world? Where is there stabilizing realities in an unstable world? Where are there definitions in an undefining world? Where are there anchors in an unanchored world? Where are there rules in an unruly world? Where are there patterns in a messy and chaotic world? Where are there constructs? in a deconstructing world? Where is there focus in a frantic, busybody world? Where is there a glue in an unglued world? Where is there simplification in a complex world? When we look at the life of Paul, I believe that we need to ask this question, what is transferable and applicable to me? What is transferable and applicable to us and to you? it leads me in this series to this question. Let me ask it a different way. What can be carefully followed? A pattern transferable to all of us as believers for the road ahead. For the road ahead for us corporately as a church, for a road ahead for you individually as a follower of Jesus, for the road ahead that some of us don't know that all that it enta- entails, but what is transferable, what is a pattern that can be carefully followed, that we can glean from the Apostle Paul, regardless of the role that you and I have in the days ahead. This brings us to our main text. Notice Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he's writing from prison, and he says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, in Lystra, with persecutions I endured. And out of the Lord, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. The phrase carefully followed, as Paul wrote this letter in Greek, it means to examine thoroughly, it it means to investigate and to follow faithfully a standard or rule to conform oneself to. In a world where things are so complex and there's so much deconstruction and and there's so much wrestling and, and things being undefined and there's so many things trying to keep us from having stability and focus. What can we carefully follow? What can we have as a pattern to conform our life after? Paul says, Timothy, you have done this. You have carefully followed. You have examined thoroughly. You have investigated and conformed yourself to things that you have seen demonstrated in me that are transferable to all followers of Jesus Christ. The first thing he mentions is doctrine. He says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Doctrine here is teaching, it's teaching. He says, Timothy, you have carefully investigated, you have conformed to the teaching that I have taught. See, to conform yourself to teaching, there has to be a standard and there has to be consistency. Paul says, you have done this. In fact, right there in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, he says, tells Timothy to hold fast the pattern of sound words. He doesn't just say, hold fast to different teachings. He says that there is a pattern of the sound words which you heard from me. In faith, and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And he calls it a good thing. He says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in can I tell you that there is a pattern of sound doctrine there is a pattern of New Testament sound teaching there is a pattern of sound words words and teaching that accords with godliness listen to me In Western Christianity, there's not a lack of so-called teaching. There's a lack of people distinguishing and understanding the pattern of sound teaching that Paul is talking about that accords with godliness. Not teaching that leads in disputes, in my opinion, and arguments, and people debating but never being mobilized for the kingdom of God, but a teaching that accords our life, joins our life, to godliness and the way of life in Jesus Christ. And that's why right after that in 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, but you have carefully followed not just my doctrine, but manner of life. Manner of life. Did you know that you and I get a manner of life based on the pattern of our actual beliefs? See, when it comes to us being people that gather, or us being people that are seeking Jesus in His ways, it's it's not what we say we believe about the Bible in Jesus. It's what we actually believe by how we live that defines what we truly believe. See, the manner of life is where we actually find in the crucible of life what we truly believe about God and His Word and His will and His ways. It's interesting that this, which is translated manner of life in the English, it in the Greek means a leading of life. What Paul is saying to Timothy is that you have carefully investigated and conformed yourself to this pattern. And this model of learning how to, in Christ, not just respond to life, but lead life. Now this is amazing to me, because if there was anyone who should be vulnerable to a victim mentality, it would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, the man got shipwrecked, right? Right? God spares his life and everybody's life who's on the ship with him. They finally make it to shore, having eaten for 14 days in a forced fast, in a storm caught, right? He finally makes it to shore. You think he's going to be celebrating? Yes, I finally made it to shore. He goes to prepare a fire, and a snake crawls out, a viper, and bites him on the hand. I mean, this man, if there's anybody that would be able to get a victim mentality and just says, life hates me. I mean, my life spared. I didn't go down with the ship. I make it to the shore and then a viper bites me. But he didn't do that. He modeled the pattern that the gospel is God making a way for humanity and you and I to be empowered in Him to lead life, to lead life, to not make excuses in life, but to be empowered to lead life. In fact, Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians 3 and verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Notice that. A pattern is transferable. A pattern is consistent. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice this. They're not necessarily the enemies of the church. They're not necessarily the enemies of the Bible. They're not necessarily enemies of Scripture. They're not necessarily enemies of Jesus. They're enemies of the cross and the pattern for our manner of life. He says, but not you, Timothy, you've carefully investigated and followed. Let me tell you that the manner of life, the way to lead life is always cross-shaped. It's always cross-imprinted type of life. It is when Paul, when he writes in the Colossians and other places, he says to put on display like you put on clothes. Thank you for doing that today. Uh, That you put on display and put on clothes. He said to put on the new character of the new humanity that you are in Christ. Put it on display. Put on the new creation characteristics. See, listen, there is a pattern, not just for sound doctrine, there's also a pattern for the manner of life in Christ Jesus. Then he continues there in our main text, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine manner of life, and then he lists purpose. Purpose. Purpose is the Greek word prothesis. It's where we get the word prosthetic. It means something that wasn't there visibly before has now been put forth and became visible. This is God's eternal purpose, His eternal prothesis. And this is the word that's used for the showbread In the tabernacle of Moses and in the temple of Solomon. It was the bread of God's presence that was in the holy place, outside of the Holy of Holies. And what Paul is saying here is that he understood that his purpose is connected to God's eternal purpose, which is to set forth a thing in clear view that previously was not in view. And that showbread is Jesus Christ in the days of His ministry who said, I have came down from heaven as the bread of life. That the invisible God becomes visible in and through Jesus. And the purpose of followers of Jesus is to make the invisible God visible. To make Jesus visible. That is how we summarize here at Dwelling Place the, the the vision statement. Manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. Paul tells Timothy, you've carefully followed my purpose. The purpose of setting in view and setting in front of others the showbread, the bread of God's presence, Jesus Christ the King. Paul in Acts 26, which we'll probably look at throughout this series, as Paul stands before King Agrippa at the end of his race before he'll give his life as a martyr for the glory of God. And in Acts 26 and verse 12, he gives an account of when God's heavenly purpose invaded his life. It says, While thus occupied as a journey to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven. Brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the golds. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. That's why Paul wrote the majority of New Testament books because of this part of God's heavenly purpose for him. Verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's authority there. God and Satan's not in a wrestling match. Satan has, I mean, no power compared to God. This is about authority, legal right. The power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I love this, watch this. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Notice that phrase, while thus occupied. Paul was occupied. He had a purpose. He had a pursuit. Some here today, you have a purpose and you have a pursuit but you've not yet had heaven bear down on that purpose. This is when Paul moved from just having an earthly purpose and pursuit to heaven's vision bearing down on his purpose and his pursuit. Paul here in his account to King Agrippa makes it clear to you and I that from the beginning of him, surrendering to the lordship of Jesus and being born again, he was clear on his heavenly vision. Why is this important for you and I to distinguish? Because not all of us start that way. When I repented and placed faith in Jesus Christ and got born again, I wasn't from the beginning completely clear on God's heavenly vision and purpose for my life in Him. Multitudes of brothers and sisters, when they get born again, are not clear on what God has for them. The good works, like Ephesians 2 says, they were created in Christ Jesus to walk in. And that's okay. So often, Pastor Craig and I get people ask us, what is God's purpose for my life? They're a child of God. They're secure in the the Father's love for them. They know they're a follower of Jesus, but they're not clear on what God's heavenly vision is for them. And so listen, Paul says, I was clear from the beginning, God's heavenly vision, and now I'm stating King Agrippa that I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. But the question some of us need to ask today is this. What do you and I as a follower of Jesus do when we're not clear on a heavenly vision for our life? What do we do in the meantime? I want to answer it. First, you carefully follow and devote yourself to the pattern of sound teaching. When you're not clear on what God's specific heavenly purpose and vision is for your life, you start devoting yourself like Paul here exhorts Timothy to the pattern of sound teaching. Secondly, you carefully follow and devote yourself to the pattern of the cross for the way and the manner that you live. Thirdly, you carefully follow and devote yourself to a heavenly vision that Jesus has given to another brother or sister in Christ or to a local church of a community of followers of Jesus. See, listen. Heavenly visions, kingdom assignments, kingdom purpose are to be integrated with the pattern of sound doctrine and the pattern and the manner of life in Jesus Christ. This is why if you're not clear on what God's heavenly vision and purpose is for your life, you want to go ahead and carefully investigate and begin to devote yourself to learning the pattern of sound teaching and living according to the pattern of the manner of life. Why? Because when then the heavenly vision is revealed to you, you already have those two areas in line. So many people fall vulnerable to getting a heavenly vision getting a kingdom assignment, getting a burden from the Lord, but they don't have those other two areas conformed in their life and therefore they find themselves not being consistent and able to move forward in the vision. Listen, the sad reality is as Pastor Craig and I have had numerous peers who are no longer doing what Pastor Craig and I are still doing, serving and equipping the body of Christ. A heavenly Purpose and vision is not enough. It's got to be integrated with our life being conformed to the pattern of sound teaching, the truth of New Testament reality, and the manner, the pattern of what life in Jesus looks like. Another thing that's important to understand is that when we're not clear on our heavenly vision for our life, if we're to begin to first then devote ourselves to the pattern of sound teaching and the pattern of the cross for the manner of life, it's important to understand that the patterns of doctrine and the manner of life cannot be obtained in a silo. So that extreme ditch of some individuality Christianity where just you and Jesus can get your life conformed to the pattern of sound teaching that's for every follower of Jesus and the manner of life that's for every follower of Jesus is not how God has designed His kingdom and His body to work. Did you know, if you go read Acts 8, when Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Then he says, what shall I do? Did you know the Lord didn't tell him all the answers to that question? He said, you will be told what you shall do. And then watch this. The Lord's first lesson that he teaches Paul, now as a follower of Jesus the King, is you are going to be in a healthy way interdependent on other brothers and sisters and the body. Paul could not receive his physical sight until the Lord sent Ananias to come in, lay his hands on him, pray for him, and then he recovered his physical sight, got filled with the Holy Spirit right there. So never, never be ashamed in love to remind brothers and sisters who are falling in extreme air and trap in the days we live of, that they can reach God's purpose and will for them in a silo by themselves, just them and Jesus. Listen, Paul, when he encounters the Lord, he had doctrine. He just did not have the pattern of new covenant sound teaching. He had a form, but he didn't have the substance that's found in Christ. Listen, Paul had a manner of life. He just didn't have the pattern of the manner of life in Jesus. Here's my point. It's that heavenly visions, God's kingdom purpose when it becomes clear, begins to correct the areas where we have wrong beliefs about God's teaching for us as a follower of Jesus, it begins to correct where we have wrong habits and pursuits and and methods from the manner of life in Jesus. This is what Paul demonstrates. This is how God uses Paul to demonstrate this: that the him losing his physical sight is an illustration that he was dying to his entire worldview. His worldview was a religious worldview. But it wasn't a Jesus-centered, New Testament-centered worldview. But He emerged with an entire new openness for the necessary transformation, even though He was previously occupied. Previously occupied. Some of you, listen, you have an occupation. And maybe today begins to a beginning of God's heavenly purpose for you, coming down and bearing upon what you're currently occupied in. That your job and your career moves from just being a purpose to heaven's purpose filling that occupation. That now it's not just being occupied with the career and the job, but it's a heavenly purpose of through the career and the job presenting and making the invisible God and making Jesus come into view to those you encounter through your occupation. Listen, there is a pattern of all of our purposes being related to setting on display God's bread for humanity, Jesus the King. So many, many brothers and sisters, they get born again, They start following Jesus. They don't know all that God has for them. They don't have a clear heavenly vision or a clarity regarding their kingdom purpose. And that's fine. And they're going about and they're thus occupied like Paul was occupied. and, And yet there comes moments where then it's the light of Jesus. God's voice breaks in. They have an encounter. A moment of clarity comes where heaven's purpose and assignment for them breaks in. And it doesn't mean that you always have to leave your career. That you leave where you were occupied. It just means that now heaven's purpose of showing forth the bread of life for humanity begins to be put forth in what you were thus previously occupied in. Paul continues as he writes to Timothy there in 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, but you have carefully followed, not just my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, but then faith. Faith. It's interesting because when Paul frames the entire new covenant and he writes his letter to Rome because he had never visited Rome and he wanted to write a defense for his ministry because people were slandering him and what he taught. He In Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, watch this, from faith to faith. And as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He frames the entire walk of followers of Jesus and the new covenant through an issue of faith. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith. In Romans 4.12, when he's talking about Abram being the father of faith, he says, We also walk in the steps of faith. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 18, he talks about Titus, who is a part of his ministry team. And he says, Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Paul, when he writes to Ephesians in Ephesians 6, he says that part of the armor of God is the shield of faith which quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy. Meaning this, you're going to have to, as a follower of Jesus, grow in faith in believing God's voice to your life, God's promises to your life. And you're also going to have to grow in faith to quench all the lies and assaults of the enemy's voice against you and your purpose. So listen, there is a pattern of biblical faith of faith toward God, of relating to God. That's what Paul is talking about when he mentions about the pattern of faith. Then next, he mentions long-suffering. You've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. Now lean in, lean in, because I I don't want you to miss this. I want to give you what the Greek means. You ready? Long-suffering in the Greek. Original language, Paul wrote it in, here's what it means. Suffer long. Suffer long. But this long-suffering, the reason Paul highlights this is because he's speaking of how we relate to people or unbelievers or unsaved people around us. He mentions faith regarding how we're to relate towards God and the enemy of your soul, Satan. But he mentions long suffering to Timothy to remind him of how Paul related to the unsaved and the unbelievers. He says, Timothy, you have carefully investigated thoroughly conformed your life after my pattern of long-suffering. But the long-suffering is toward unbelievers. Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy 1.15. And the reason why Paul was so clear on this pattern of how we're to relate to unbelievers, how we're to relate to those in the world around us who are unglued, unstable, deconstructing. He knew that that was the way because that's how God related to him when he was that. Now watch this. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me, first, he was a prototype, he was a pattern, that in me, first, Jesus Christ m- might show all longsuffering, here it is, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. There is a pattern of long-suffering for followers of Jesus in dealing with people. Paul said that he endured all that he went through, shipwrecks, beatings, in prison, for the sake of those who would believe. Some of you, I know, listen, you've been believing for... Wayward children. You've been believing for wayward, wayward grandchildren. You have neighbors, co-workers you've been believing for. And what we see here is Paul, towards the end of his journey, his race, and in prison when he writes to Timothy, we can see that what is transferable, what is a pattern that's transferable to even you and I in 2021 is the pattern of long-suffering towards those who currently don't believe, but we are believing will come to believe. Can I hear an amen? So there is the pattern of faith toward God in dealing with the enemy of your soul, the devil. There is the pattern of long-suffering and dealing with people, the unsaved. And then next he lists the characteristic of love. You've carefully investigated, followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love. Love here is not phileo, it's not eros, it's agape. The God type of love, the love that comes from God. That's why Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 9, But concerning brotherly love, you had no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Listen, this is the only thing in the new covenant that says that God directly, not indirectly, directly through communing with Him, through Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, teaches you directly about. Everything else we learn in community and in community fellowship with the spirit and other brothers and sisters why because think about this this is how Jesus taught it in John 13 34 he says a new commandment then you go to first John the apostle John said well old commandment but then he said a new commandment what is new about the new commandment but what is not new about the new commandment the new commandment is this I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The new commandment is this. You don't love others as you love yourself. You and I in the new covenant only know how to love others based on the love we have personally received from Jesus. The area that I don't know how to love you as my brother and sister is the area I've not yet received Jesus' love for me there. And the New Covenant, we don't have a code of 613 laws like the Old Covenant. We have a living King and Savior. And as you follow Him and spend intimate time with Him and receive His agape, unconditional love for you, only your experience of His love enables and empowers and enlightens you to know how to love your brothers and sisters around you. So Paul says, faith toward God, faith in dealing with the fiery darts of the enemy, Long-suffering in dealing with unbelievers, but love in dealing with followers of Jesus. Love for the brethren. Listen, there is a pattern of loving other followers of Jesus that's transferable to all believers and all cultures and all nations and all seasons. And as I experience it from the Lord, I know then what to impart to others. But Paul doesn't end there. He continues, 2 Timothy 3.10, You've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Perseverance is consistency. It's endurance. It's steadfastness. It's the New Testament characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty or her loyalty to the faith. Even in the greatest trials and sufferings, Paul lived out that pattern. He called for the elders in Ephesus when he's on his way. He knew he was going to give his life for Christ. They fall down. They beg him not to go. They're crying. He said, "I'm not moved by any of these things." He was a man only moved by the heavenly purpose of God upon him. This is what I like to call: whatever it takes, and as long as it takes, whatever it takes and as long as it, as it takes. Paul and Barnabas, when they went back and traveled to the churches that they planted, in Acts 13, 43, it says, that speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Romans eight twenty five Paul says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Can I tell you that there is a pattern of perseverance? It's no coincidence I've spent years thinking about this. Why did Paul at the end of his life, when he writes to Timothy, the young minister, highlight what he highlighted here? There's many other things that could have made the list. Paul was clear. He's highlighting patterns that are transferable from him to Timothy and also to you and I. But listen, perseverance is necessary. Because it's not just conforming ourselves to the pattern of sound teaching for a season or when it's convenient. It's not just conforming ourselves to the pattern or the manner of life in Jesus for a season or when it's convenient. It's not just patterning ourselves in the manner of faith toward God when it's easy and convenient and that we're experiencing the promises we want. It's not just conforming ourselves temporarily or in a season to the pattern of long-suffering to unbelievers. Like when it's our family member that we really want to be saved, but then when it's someone else's that's really getting on our nerves, we don't want to be long-suffering with them. (laughs) It's not just temporarily modeling and being conformed to the pattern of loving brothers and sisters when it's convenient, but in all seasons, and that requires perseverance. So listen, there's a pattern of perseverance in the following, the pattern of sound teaching and the pattern of the manner of life in Jesus, the pattern of purpose, the pattern of faith, the pattern of long-suffering, the pattern of love. There must be perseverance, and there is a pattern of perseverance, pattern of faith toward God, pattern of long-suffering towards unbelievers, the pattern of love towards the brethren and the other brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, Timothy carefully followed. But it doesn't end there. The list ends here. He says, again, 2 Timothy 3.10, come on, Ben. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, and then what? Persecutions, afflictions. Just to silence the questions that come from, we hear the word persecutions and afflictions, just to silence what he knows would be the rebuttals going off in Timothy's head. He continues in the very next verse, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Wow, listen, for the followers of Jesus, there's heavenly purpose and persecutions. For followers of Jesus, you need to understand that it's a heavenly purpose brings persecution. When heaven's purpose begins to invade a world that opposes the goodness of God and the order of God and the pattern of God and the will of God, When heaven's purpose begins to bear down on the world and its ways, it leads to persecution. Listen, it's a heavenly purpose with persecutions. And for those of us who are in pursuit, of the heavenly purpose of God for our life, the specific kingdom assignment, a specific way that we're to manifest Christ to others. Heavenly purpose of the good works we were created for in Christ Jesus that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. That the pursuit of the heavenly purpose brings pressures, listen, upon doctrine and our manner of life. That's why Paul knows, is regardless as much as we've heard, that if you just get God's purpose for your life, it's enough. It's not enough. Because God's purpose for your life brings persecution. And therefore, you're going to need these qualities of perseverance. Faith toward Him. Long-suffering towards others. Love towards the brethren. And That's why Paul highlights these characteristics between Purpose and persecutions. It's not learning and hearing once the pattern of sound teaching. Paul told Timothy to hold fast to it. Storms are coming, but hold fast to it. Persecutions might come, but hold fast to it. Persevere in the pattern, not just temporarily, but hold fast and persevere living the pattern for the manner of life in Jesus. Listen to me. Understand that what is necessary to sustain us on the road ahead are faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. I don't know maybe exactly where you're at today. I don't know whether you're in a mountaintop or a valley. I don't know necessarily the season of your soul. I don't know that all that God has for each and every one of us in the days ahead. But one thing I know, there is a pattern that's transferable to all of us regardless of the days and what God has for us ahead of us. And this is what Paul is highlighting, and this is what on the beginning of this series we can learn and realize is applicable to you and I. That what's necessary to sustain us on the road ahead is faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Faith toward God, relational trust towards Him, long-suffering towards the lost and the unsaved around us. Love towards the brothers and sisters in Christ and a perseverance in all of these qualities. Paul then says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, I've kept the faith finally laid up for me as the crown, the crown. Paul here shows the pattern that God's designed for every one of us as followers of Jesus who are followers of Jesus here today and that's we have been predestined to be overcomers. There's a pattern. Jesus overcame the worst of things that you and I can face. Death, it seemed to be the end. He overcame it and he punched down to the very core of the enemy. Our life, even death. Faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance is a necessary pattern for all followers of Jesus to be able to prevail in the end. The good news for you and I is faith can be developed. The good news for you and I is that in the gospel, long-suffering can be developed. Love can be developed. Perseverance can be developed. So regardless of how empty or how low or how limited our current faith and relational trust to God is, see, when we say faith, I'm not just talking about a mere faith that Jesus is Lord. I'm talking about Biblical apostolic faith, which means what it looks like in relational trust to Jesus in every area of life. That's what faith means in the New Testament. I'm not concerned about you all no longer believing that Jesus is Lord, but I'm concerned about all of us developing and growing to demonstrate our relational trust in Him in more and more areas of our life. And that faith can be developed. Long-suffering can be developed. Love can be developed. Perseverance can be developed. But where? Listen, we come to Jesus. There's a lot of things that can happen and need to happen, but there's one thing for all of us that must happen if we're going to be an overcomer, and that's what he told Martha. You're going to have to learn to sit in my presence and let me love on you. Let me speak to you. You're going to have to learn to receive of me men we're hard to often think that we're going to, life's up to us doing it on our own, you're going to have to learn to receive let the work of my spirit grow and move your faith forward move long suffering forward, move love forward, move perseverance forward but listen, it takes thorough Conforming oneself and investigating carefully. You're not going to be an overcomer. You and I are not going to be overcomers in the world we live in or things constantly are shifting and the busyness and all the screaming and the madness and the debating. We're not going to be overcomers without carefully following what we're talking about here today.